Strange times, everybody. Strange fucking times. It is Kevin Kelly. This is March the 25th, Wednesday. I've been gone for a while. I haven't uh, been putting out any podcasts because for a couple reasons. I have been in the process of starting up a new business, and it's taken quite a bit of time and energy and phone calls and all that good stuff. And then I also went on a trip uh, right before the coronavirus madness hit America. I ended up going to uh, Nicaragua and Costa Rica and trying to chill out a little bit in the midst of starting up a new business. Luckily, made it back before any of the madness started with the virus spreading over to the States. Uh, it's very interesting times. It's feel like I'm taking in a couple hours a day of news media just to maintain informed uh, or maintain an informed perspective of what's going on, as well as as an entrepreneur, keeping up on all of these small business assistance loans and disaster loans and relief that the government is trying to pass through, and which I believe they did pass through today, this morning, um, which hopefully helps the economy out somewhat. But ultimately, it's just, you know, everybody's experience is very similar, yet totally unique, and some people are probably really hurting right now, and I think that's important to keep in mind. But it's just important to take a look at how everything is playing out You know, I think there is the tendency, especially with this massive amount of fear and lack of information uh, being sent around, that you can start to get trapped inside of a bubble of your brain of of fear and doubt and and insecurity. And I don't have the answers by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it's also important to keep things. Um, I don't know, just to keep them separate from your everyday functioning. You know, I think with the internet, the power of it, good and bad, you have the ability to be tapped into every single update that's taking place. And that's just not a, it's just not a good, healthy place to be. You know, I, I keep thinking about 20 years ago or even 10 years ago, what the media sensation or hype would have been around this situation and it's interesting. I don't even know, 20 years ago, I don't even know if we'd be <laughs> in the state of preparation that we'd be in today. And obviously, with the internet, it's a beautiful thing that we're able to keep on track, top of everything. But understanding the numbers and understanding and cutting through the hype is really fucking hard to do. You know, I think there's the numbers coming from CDC and they're trying to compare those with China, but nobody can really trust what China is saying in terms of their number of infected and their morbidity rate. And now we're, we're talking about potential solutions and drug trials and working with this malaria medicine, chloroquine, to see if it, it can affect the disease and, and testing taking so long. It's taking up to five days at this moment to get your results back. So I feel like we're entering a fairly dark phase. I feel like we've been there for the past week and I think it's going to get a little bit darker But then I do feel that it's going to turn around. I don't think we're going to be stuck there for a long time. And I think that hopefully we come out of this smarter, harder, and stronger as an individual, as a community, and as a country. Um, I I don't like playing into the hype of what people have to say about a lot of things, whether it's 
overly good or overly bad. And I really have just been trying to take everything into my own consideration and not let things I read dictate how I feel. It's really easier said than done, but I think it's important in order to maintain, uh, 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 to be a functional part of your social group, your family group, and just as a citizen. Now, we're on to a podcast, a very interesting and very positive podcast with one of the most beautiful, uh, motivating, awesome people that I've ever met in St. Louis and anywhere, to be honest. He is just a, a ball of energy, and and I hope that's that, that, that is a, a positive thing to say about someone. He, he's a positive energy, and he spreads and diffuses it throughout every situation that he's in and with everything that he does. I am talking about Ty Davis, Chef Ty Davis. I We became friends a long time ago, and then I've just been watching what he's been doing, diving into new things over the course of the past few years, and it's really, truly inspiring. He is known nowadays for his fantastic uh, pastry and desserts, or as he calls them, sweets, designs that he makes. They are as good as they look. I can personally testify to that. And uh, he's also taking what he's doing and how his own aesthetic is coming out through these desserts and pastries and applying it to photography and art in an extremely interesting way. Uh, In light of all of this corona madness, Tyler took it upon himself to do a fundraiser to uh, cook lunches for children that would normally be fed through the public school system. And I think within a couple hours, he raised almost $3,500 and he's already funded out. He's just making them and working with people in the community to get these kids fed. That's just the kind of person he is. And I think it really parallels his personal story and what he had to go through. Uh, And I see him taking the hard um, times and the odds stacked against him and transforming that and using it as fuel in order to do things like this, in order to set up an or a fund to feed children in St. Louis. So I, I just I, I couldn't be coming at a perfect time. There is no place to donate right now. I already asked him, but you should check out to see what he's doing. Keep in touch with him. Follow him on social media because he is an important part of um, the positive entrepreneurial energy in St. Louis. Enough. Here's Tyler Davis. I really hope you enjoy it because I sure did. Where's it, Ty? You can call me whatever you want. Okay. <laughs> Everyone calls me Ty. Uh, that's kind of the name I like to go by. We're doing it. We yeah. finally made it happen. We def- definitely made it happen. In, in light of uh, auto circumstances and pandemics and everything, we're here. We made it finally. Barely. I'm so excited. I've been since I started this podcast. Let me turn my phone off. You're one of the first people that I wanted to interview because, you know, I hate this word polymath, but you're like the exact example of polymath <laughs> yeah, and you're always throwing something at me and shocking me because I'm a figure uh, I have you pegged in my head as being one thing or another and then all of a sudden I'll see you doing something completely different and doing it really well 
Well, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate that. I think the, uh, uh, even recently I, I was at some event at Brennan's work and leisure and walked in and you were playing cello. Yep. I said, I had no fucking idea that he did that <laughs> as well. What is going on here? So I, I just knew, uh, and, and I'm trying to even remember when we met each other, I think it was through the, uh, infamous Sam Neill. Yes. Back exactly. in the day. Yeah. 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 Right. Like I think it was one of his fashion shows that he was throwing and I don't know what, how you were helping out. You probably don't know how I was helping out at all. It was a fashion show that he was throwing. I remember it was at the top of, uh, what was that building? I remember it was at the top part. I was there making food for it. And it I remember seeing you being there. 2720? 2720. That's yep, right. Yep. That's exactly where it was. That was, yeah. man, that was a minute ago. I miss that guy. He's he, he was one of my favorite people just to hang out with. And he had such a unique perspective on how he did things and um, a, a hilarious way of doing things and yeah. making them under budget. <laughs> He's still killing it, man. He's down in California right now, just kind of do doing his thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't talk awesome. to him as often as I would like to, but yeah. I just hit him up probably uh, two months ago just to check in on him, see how things are going. And he was just like still killing it, still fucking hilarious. Oh my God. His, <laughs> he's the funniest he's man He's got ever. one of the best voices I've ever heard. Yeah. You know, just like, Kevin, 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 how are you doing? You know, and you just feel comfortable right at home whenever you start talking to him. You feel very comfortable with Sam. So, that was a long time ago. And then I think there was a quite a large gap before I saw that you were helping out Brennan's with some of their um, uh, desserts or even working with some of their events. I don't, uh -huh. I don't remember in what form. Uh, I've been working with Brennan's in a lot of different capacities. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I used to do my own series of pop-up dinners over there called Pure Various Table, mm -hmm. um, where we would do it down at the um, right. small marble table down there. But at the same time, like he's also, I've done like this and that a restaurant with him before. He also has me kind of be like his little like private chef whenever yes. he has events and whatnot. So, I mean, I do that stuff on those fronts. Um, I'm actually talking to him now about um, doing like a little collaboration project down in Midtown. Cool. Where we're going to do kind of a fusion between like the Brennan's kind of like aesthetic with alchemy. And he actually offered to kind of like house like my desserts and pastries and stuff in house. Yes. And I'm also going to be consulting for them on like the savory and the sweet side for a lot oh, of their awesome. menus. And then also just kind of, um, you know, helping them out with a few uh, dinners, a few like events and whatnot. We have a huge birthday party coming up in May that I'm very excited to do. So, you know, it's just a really good uh, just partnership between he and I, you know, like we work really well and well together. Yeah. You worked on the New Year's Eve that we did together. And I, uh, from the very first meeting, I'm like, we got to have Ty, Chef Ty on this. <laughs> and you killed it. Thank you very much. And the dessert, the, the theme was um, 2020 Space Odyssey, you know, kind of having uh, Kubrick themes of having the big space portal as a photo booth and doing the video and the live band, all playing things that related to that concept. Yeah. And then your desserts absolutely nailed the idea. And they went so fast yeah. that I didn't even get to try all of them. <laughs> but I, I remember telling um, Kevin or Zach, one of the guys over there, um, I would love to do a monolith cake. Bam. I Done. Think you nailed it. You nailed it. And I was just like, this is fucking awesome. It, it's so cool that you have that artistic sensibility that you can also mesh with you know, uh, I don't want to say it's niche, but like a niche, but, um, you know, just, I don't know anybody else that has such a high profile doing dessert and pastry and savory, uh, things right now. Yeah. And as like a hired contract killer doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you've done a really good job of marketing yourself, but, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but this is mostly self-taught. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, um, I just consider myself like an interdisciplinarian. I don't really mm -hmm. 
want to be labeled as like one thing or another. Sure. Because once I kind of got out of the like restaurant world, you know, because yeah. I quit my job like eight months ago, which is like, I want to just do my own thing now. You know, mm -hmm. it really gave me a lot of just creative freedom to really kind of try to do these things that I've always kind of like had locked inside of my you know, like brain. Yeah. And I think the one thing that differentiates me between other people is like, I don't like the word no. And I don't like telling myself that I can't do something. Right. So if I, you know, wake up, because I had like a dream, you know, like I was like painting a picture or something like that. I always take those as being like signs, you know? So I'm just like, maybe I should get back into art, you know? Yeah. And it's just really like liberating mm -hmm. when you just follow like your passions and dreams and don't really always think about, you know, like the monetary side of it, you know? Yes. Like I know we always have to pay bills and stuff at the end of the day. What is it that we just really, really love to do, you know? Yeah. And how can I apply that to real world situations mm -hmm. while also still kind of making it profitable while also still staying true to myself, you know? Sure. Like I don't like trying to follow like trends when it comes to things, you know, I am really different just mm -hmm. when it comes to just culinary art, just food in general, because like I am self-taught. I went to school for music performance, you know? So I'm like a classically trained trellis when it comes to there. But originally I wanted to kind of go to school for medical illustration. Yeah. So that's where my art background comes into. Medical so, illustration yeah. was your initial... <laughs> that's so interesting. <laughs> and uh, applying that in like uh, manuals and textbooks. Yeah, what I wanted to do was I wanted to just draw like human anatomy. So all of the textbooks mm. and stuff that you would get, you know, it would just be me. Like I was always in very, very detail oriented. Yeah. So when I was growing up, my mom would always buy me like zoo books and stuff like that. <laughs> and then she would be like, oh, you're reading your book. And I'd be like, no, I'm not just reading it. I was like, I'm also drawing like this, you know, like Scarlet Macaw or something like that. And she would be like, what, what? And I would draw it. And she'd be like, that looks just like that, you know? <laughs> so even when it came from just me being little, I've always been like really really like artsy, you know, uh -huh. but I don't really kind of like to show it. I don't, I don't like to talk to like brag and I'm not really like yeah. boastful when it comes to stuff. So You're I have burn. lots of, yeah. And yeah. I think I have like lots of just cool hidden things that lots of people don't really uh, like know or mm -hmm. kind of see because I don't really like let them like see it. Yeah. I've, <laughs> I, I've dealt with the same thing in terms of, I don't know how cool any of the things I do are, but like, you know, when I quit my job, I didn't want to be pigeonholed into doing one thing. Yeah. And despite, you know, being moderately good at some things, really good at some other things, and then not that great, I wanted to be able to accept all these projects in order to figure out how to build my talent stack and be able to address any of those projects. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think that the, a lot of people kind of focus on the one thing that they're good at, and sometimes to their benefit, but it's a small majority of people that ever get known for doing that one thing. Yeah. And I always said, you know, what, where's that, that famous question? Could, would you rather be really good at one instrument or proficient at all of them? I'm like, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. If you're proficient at all instruments, then you can write a song. If you're only proficient at one instrument, then you're stuck. Yeah. So that's, you know, I, I identify with that as well. Same thing, I, always people were like, what do you do? And I'm like, uh, I'm not a Bowie knife. I'm more like a uh, Swiss army knife. And a lot of the tools don't necessarily work yet. Yeah, yeah. But I can build something with it. And I, I think that's kind of the mindset and the approach that you've taken. I'm just curious, like how you came into that or how you discovered it for yourself that you didn't have to just be a medical illustrator or be a cellist. Like what, what, what how did school start off? Like were you public school, private school? Uh, so kind of weird, like nomadic existence. When I was like younger, my mm -hmm. mom, a uh, super, super strong lady, but like I am one of four. Mm -hmm. So she kind of raised us all um, like by herself, you know? Sure. But all of my um, sisters are all older than me by nine to 15 years, you know? So oh, I didn't wow. really like really grow up with them like per se, you yeah. know? 
Um, but she ended up uh, living in Milwaukee, you know, like it was during like a really weird time where she ended up getting laid off from her job. And she was like, I don't really know kind of like what I want to do now. And then she ended up finding the Lord. So she became a minister. <laughs> and then from there, we just moved around from place to place. So by the time I ended up. Uh, Did you grow up in the church? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. De- definitely grew up in the church, but she gave my mom was um, the type of individual to always give us an option. She sure. never really wanted to force like religion on us. Yeah. You know? So I think when I was like eight, woke up one day and she's like, yep, yeah, you want to go to church? It's up to you. If you don't, you can oh, stay wow. at home. Just know that I probably won't be very happy. And she always let you know, like, hey, babe, you should probably be going to church right now. You know, what are you doing? <laughs> um, but religion to me was just one of those things where I didn't really kind of like fit in like per se, you know, there yeah. were still lots of internal things that I was like going through at the when time. Oh yeah. 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 Cause I've oh always known like, um, like that I was, I've been gay since probably like birth. Mm-hmm. I remember being like two sitting on my sister's lap, you know, like looking at like magazine and they'd be scrolling through and be like, that guy's sexy. And deep down inside, I'd be like, yeah, that guy is kind of sexy, you know? <laughs> so that was always something that kind of like deterred me from religion. And I've always been really kind of, I don't know, hip to see how kind of like religion has like separated, you know, um, just different backgrounds and whatnot. Oh, and I sure. don't really like, you know, thinking of it like that, you know, I think of myself as a very spiritual individual, but not really religious, you yeah. know, in the sense. Um, so that was always really, really interesting. Is but your mom still a big part of the church? Yes, yes, okay. yes. She so still does kind of- Bible study. She still does. Um, yeah. uh, she still ministers and whatnot. Not in a church right now because my mom's a lot older. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, she's in her 70s. She's not really like ambulatory and whatnot. Oh, so she just kind of um, she just does it inside of her. Um, Apartment complex. So she's always oh, going to cool. minister, you know? Yeah. She preaches to us all the time. So. Well, everything, like all the big churches are uh, on cable yeah. now or online streaming. Yeah. So it makes it easier for people to uh, stay in touch. That's interesting. At eight, at eight, I think I was like figuring out how to wipe my butt still <laughs> and uh, very afraid of the dark <laughs> and not making any decisions that would allow me to stay home from church. I think I didn't really pull, uh, pull away from the church until like 22 yeah. Or 23. So it was much longer of a process. I was just the good kid who did what his parents told him to do and didn't question anything, never rebelled. And I didn't really even rebel when I left the church. It was just a very slow, gradual realization and questioning of like, whoa, you know, there's a lot of lack of logic here for me. Absolutely. Yep. And it just, if they don't have answers and it just all boils down to one answer being faith, I have a problem with that. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's cool that it works for you. That's fine. But for me, that's not the answer. Yeah. You know, and my, it was my parents and family, you know, I've, I'm the only person that ever stepped away from the church or the faith. So it was like a process of 10 years of them coming to terms with one being um, understanding and then also being happy that I was thinking about this further than just blindly going to church. Yeah. You know, and so they've been supportive that they, my mom lapses every once in a while. And like, I wish you would come to church again. I'm like, for what? We've already <laughs> talked about this to the nth degree. Um, and it's just interesting to, to hear that your mom was so supportive of it while still like, you know, saying you should probably be a church. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like she really just wanted us to grow up to be extremely like independent. So I think yeah. that that's also why she gave us the choice. And at the end of the day, my mom is very like faith driven. Mm-hmm. And she was pretty much to the point where, you know, it's like, you know, if you feel it in your heart that you want to do this, sure. I have enough faith that you will find the Lord and that you will go to there church you go. and that you will do all, you know, these things, you know, if not, that's definitely on you because yeah. you at the end of the day are going to have to be the one to meet the maker, you know? Sure, sure. So that's how she was kind of like, you know, 
racist to be, you know, she's always been that way. So she's how have limited. you evolved since then? Like, are you, um, I, I know you said you're very spiritual, but like, yeah, it actually worked out for both of us um, in the long run because my mom didn't really kind of see where I was coming from when I mm -hmm. just told her, you know, hey, I'm not really religious, I'm more spiritual. And at the same time, I didn't really have an understanding of where she was coming from with all of, you know, the way she kind of like revered religion and yeah. where she got her um, just beliefs and stuff from. So we had a really, really good constructive conversation, you know, she was like, why don't you say God? Why do you say the universe? Why mm -hmm. do you, you know, do these things and do this? And I just kind of explained to her, I was just like, I think that religions, um, you know, like over the years have really just been detrimental to the way that we think about one another, you know? Yeah. And I think that instead of it bringing a lot of people together, it really separates us. Mm -hmm. And I don't really believe in just one religion, you know? Yeah. And I think that, you know, as Christians, you know, they're like, hey, Christianity is the way to go, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, what about all the other religions that were around before Christianity was there? What mm -hmm. about Taoism? What about, you know, like Buddhism, Hinduism, all these things that have really, really good fundamental um, like belief systems, you know, that have been around for a while uh, with people that live really, really good lives, you know? And I said, sure. and I think that's what, you know, how people should live their lives. I don't think that we should have to wake up in the morning and, you know, like pray to one, you know, divine being or whatnot, you know, because there are so many faces of God, you know, per se, yeah. that other people revere and other people worship. You know, I just think that if we wake up, have really, really good, um, just... Um, just try to be really, really good people, you know, like don't try to screw other people over, you know, just have sure. really, really good solid beliefs that Karmic. we can, yep, yeah. absolutely, right. that we can build our like, our own faith, you know, and, and all our own values. And how did you learn on. about this at that young age or did it take a couple of years before you actually started to put together the concepts of what you were feeling? Oh, I'm still learning. Uh, sure. Definitely, definitely still learning. But this kind of changed when um, I just internet library? Not even internet or library, but I was hanging out with like a lot of my friends in school were mm -hmm. like Indian or they were Asian, you know? Oh, cool. So I was definitely immersed in their cultures a lot. And I got to see, you know, when I would go to their house, you know, like, what is this thing? It's a shrine, you know, or is this mm -hmm. an altar? Like, what are all these, you know, different things? What are all these different relics and stuff you have? And it was very fascinating to me, you know? And I would just look around and see all these people. And I'm just like, no, I was like, you're dope. You're really dope. I was like, you're like <laughs> the nicest person I ever met. So, you know, if Christianity condones like your religion, I was just like, then I'm fucked, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how old are you? Uh, so I'm 35. Okay. So yeah, I think that what is interesting is that, especially in our generation, there was even more of a blend of cultures yeah, happening. Absolutely. You know, greater um, immigrations of people or migrations of people uh, were still occurring throughout the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, even, uh, especially in St. Louis. And I think that when, you know, I remember meeting like uh, the first Muslim I've ever met or, you know, the first uh, person of an exotic culture. And I, just getting along with them and then, oh yeah, 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 let me, all right, do you guys go to church? And they're like, well, kind of, not yeah. really. You know, it's different than what you expect. And then I think a lot of, uh, a lot of kids in Generation X and, you know, old millennials start to realize like, why, oh, these people aren't wrong. Yeah. You know, they're not, you're telling me all my friends are going to hell? Yep. You know, that's kind of the big one, right? Yeah. Like, why are all these people going to hell just because, they're not coming to church with us on Sunday. Yeah. Or they may not necessarily 100% believe the same things that you believe, you know? Yeah. Like and, and now that we're getting into this older, you know, 30s, 40s, there is a large generational rift you see taking place in specifically in the Christian church of people like, yeah, I don't exactly think that we have all the answers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is more of a framework for us that we're following. And uh, 
You know, I don't, I don't even think that all other religions uh, go to hell or that they don't go to heaven. Yeah. And so, the, you know, I, I do think that religion has been useful in the, in the history, but I do think it's uh, going through a process of, especially with the greater access to information and knowledge to where it's starting to like dissipate. Yeah. Or, or, or the uh, training, you know, they're like training wheels to civilization in a certain respect and they're starting to fall off. Yep. And I think that we're going to progress to something that is post-religion, you it's know? Like a religious renaissance. <laughs> yes. And obviously some of the younger religions are still catching up, yeah. uh, especially in some other areas of the world. But, you know, I think hopefully that they go through that process of a reformation and then greater focus on liberalism and just say, yo, let's just be nice to each other. Absolutely. You know, not to get hippie about it, but like, you know, the golden rule pervades all of these different religions yeah, and people are slowly realizing that. Yep. Um, well, cool. So then that obviously informs what you're doing now, but your first love then you're saying was drawing. When did you start to get into music? Ah, man, it was crazy. I didn't actually start playing the cello until I moved to Mount Vernon. So we like just bounced back and forth, bounced uh-huh. back and forth, like state, 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 state. I lived in like three different states. Uh, all in the Midwest or all over uh, the place? So I <laughs> consider Milwaukee, Wisconsin my home because mm. that's where I grew up for most of my formative years. But I was actually born in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Oh, wow. But uh, when I was like nine, like probably like six months Oh, we moved to Wisconsin and I lived there until I was like 12. And then went back to Mount Vernon. And then went to Florida. Oh, Florida. And then back to Illinois. And <laughs> then back to Florida. And then back to Illinois. Oh my gosh. And then, did we go back to Florida? No, we went into Florida twice. And then I ended up uh, finishing school in Illinois. And this was all over the span of how many years? Uh, this was from age zero all the way until 18. Okay. Because by the time I left school, I had already been to 13 different schools and lived in like four different states. So I'm kind of like a ghost. Oh my gosh. From... Third grade till probably like sixth grade because I'm not in really was any it, yearbooks. Was my military or? <laughs> nope. Oh. So uh, we had a few things with like my grandma with her getting sick. And then of course mm-hmm. my mom, she found the Lord. So mm-hmm. she was a pastor for a few churches and sometimes they would want her to move somewhere. Right. And then she was also just kind of like restless. I think my mom was trying to really kind of find like where her like. Where she felt. Yeah. Kind of where she like fit in and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so it was just, it was just a really weird kind of like upbringing or whatnot. But finally, uh, when I settled down in Mount Vernon, my uncle is the orchestra director for the elementary school, the middle school and the high school. Oh wow! So he, uh, came to me one day, he was like, Hey nephew, he was like, we need some more people in my orchestra. And I was just like, I don't even know How like, old you what then? an orchestra is. Oh, I was probably around 12. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's like fourth grade. Yeah. Yeah. So I was right, uh, right around 12 and he was like, what do you want to play? And I was like, I don't know. What do you want me to play? Mm-hmm. He was just like, here goes a cello. So I was just like, all right, cool, sweet. Don't know what a cello is, but I'm here for it. <laughs> and ended up honestly just sitting down doing um, like lessons with him to start off with. But um, I was really fortunate to have a family called the Frolings that um, actually went to school with me. They homeschooled most of their kids and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were really, really big into like music, arts, uh, and just <clears throat> sorry, uh, definitely like music arts, anything that had to do with the arts, they were like all there for. So I was in class one day and I was playing and she was like, you should come to Edwardsville with us mm. and meet Glenda and maybe take some lessons and stuff. She was like, cause you're like naturally talented. This is really cool. You seem to really be enjoying yourselves. And we wake up every Saturday morning. We just load up the van and we just drive down there. Wow. And I was just like, all right, sweet. Like I'm here for it. Did you start with cello? Yeah. Oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah. 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 So I started with cello. That's um, crazy though, because it's such a big instrument for a kid. 
It is, but so they make them different sizes. So you can get a full size, you can get a quarter size, you can get like a three-fourths, you know? Like, so there's different, you don't start off with like a massive cello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. baby cellos too. Okay. Um, (laughs) I didn't know that. I should have known that. And just went from there, man, and really fell in love with it. Ended up going to see Glinda, and we were super, super poor when I was like growing up. So she mm-hmm. actually ended up giving me like a scholarship to take lessons for her. Oh, so my parents awesome. didn't really have to pay for anything. And um, in exchange, I would come to go there, help her clean, you know, sort music, organize things like that. But I mean, I just fell in love with music. And in those four years, um, she got my chops good enough, and I practiced enough um, so that I ended up getting a scholarship for college. Nice. And that's actually what kind of prompted me to go to school for music. So actually it was my minor at first yeah. and I was doing pre-med and then minoring in music. And that was just a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it's like a lot to, for, you know, a 15 year old to kind of take upon himself to try to, you know, do medicine and music on top of, you know, like, um, trying to also like grow and yeah. to really find your way, you know, like there's no way there's no reason I should have been honestly in college when I was in college. Wait, you were in at 15? Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I went to school, uh, my actual, I didn't, yeah, my 21st birthday was actually right after I got out of school. So I wasn't even really able to drink while I was in college legally. That's cr- I, I did this. <laughs> I, I actually did the same thing. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting, the more and more people I have on this podcast, I, I think there's at least two other people in the past 20 interviews that I've done that also went to college early. Yeah. And I was just dual enrolled at like community college. So it counted as high school credit as well. Uh And then, yeah, I finished, uh, how old was I when I finished? 20. Yeah. And it was just like, okay, I'm graduating. What the hell do I do now? What the hell? You're still babies when you're 20, man. Like we don't know anything about the world. No, not at all. I mean, you're babies when you're 22. Yeah. Yeah. You're babies when you're 25. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I just went back to school and tried to pick up some more things, you know, just okay, I'll go check out 3D modeling or video production or things like that. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I don't understand why it's not more of the norm these days either. You know, so many people talk about high school as just a wasted years. And yeah, okay, when I was going through college courses, I did look back at like proms and things like that. And I'm like, oh, but then like maybe a year later, I'm like, whew, I'm so happy I didn't have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's just, it makes so much more sense and it gives, it can give individuals a leg up on what they actually want to do. And clearly it did that for you. I mean, it kind of fast-tracked what you were interested in. It definitely fast-tracked it. I didn't think I realized it though at the time. No, me neither. Yeah, I was was (laughs) super, super, super naive when I was younger. But we got out of college (laughs) earlier so that we could actually plunge into our other interest. Yeah. You know, that's the key. It's like maybe two more years or three more years, you would have been... Oh, now I got to go make money and I got to, I guess I got to use this degree. And to a certain extent, my degree was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah. You know, like I, I'll figure out what to do. Uh, it wasn't like, this is how I'm going to make money. <laughs> and maybe that was just the time as well, you know? Yeah. I think for me it was, um, it was weird and a little different. Um, cause I've been in school for, um, I was just kind of like burnt out, you know, yeah. like music was awesome, but I had been doing it for so long, um, played in so many orchestras and just did so many things. I kind of want to take a step back, you know, sure, like after school. Yeah. Um, but that was kind of a blessing. But at yeah. the same time, I think it was also kind of like me not really like believing in myself enough to be like, hey, I want to really go out and pursue classical music, you know, as like mm-hmm. a profession. Because I had lots of other individuals that graduated before me that were still kind of looking for jobs. And these kids were like prodigies, like playing. And well, and like, at that level, the burnout's got to be pretty high too. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Same with a lot of the uh, performing arts, I think. Like when kids get involved at a younger age, they're done at at like 20, 21, 22, because then it requires singular focus. You know, that whole thing that we're talking about, like that is your thing. Yep. Nothing else is your thing. Yeah. And And I've talked to lots of instrumentalists or people that did grow up really, really early on and them, you know, kind of confessing to me, you know, like this is all I knew. So this is all I had to fall back on. You know, I've been doing it for so long. I didn't think I really had a choice to do anything else because yeah. I wasn't able to learn anything else. Have you, know? you ever uh, listened to that NPR show where it's the kids performing on the set? Uh, it's, it's always on Saturday. Uh, from the top. Yeah. Yep. And then they're taught, they interview the kids. And I would say a lot of the kids just sound like, you know, like, yeah, this is what I do. Yeah. You know, and I want to see them fast forward five years from now, like, yeah, I'm done with that. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I hit NPR, I perform my piece, and then I'm just not doing that anymore. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying either way is, you know, good or bad, but it's just, it shows that the pressure that can be put on a young kid at a young age causes them to leave the thing that they initially loved. Yeah. And so that kind of happened with you a little bit, you're saying, or? um, Yeah, it definitely did. I always knew that I could always come back to music, but my whole thing was, me growing up really, really poor, I always thought about, you know, like how can I honestly make like a sustainable living? Yeah. And at the time, uh, like classical music was still kind of like an art form that only like older white people, you know, yeah, kind of went yeah. to, you know, it was very like underappreciated and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really going through my head and thinking, you know, like, oh, if I wanted to, I could become like a hip hop cellist or I could do all yeah, these sure. things instead of, you know, thinking outside the box. But I'm really happy that I make that decision because had I not, I don't think that I would be in a much different place than I am now, but I don't think I would have kind of found my love. You know, I would still kind of be playing orchestras, which is something that, like I said, like, don't get me wrong. Like I absolutely love music. I still play to this day, but I just know that that would have been something that I wouldn't be like true to me. You know, it would have limited your other passions. Um, you said what would have limited my other passions? It would have limited. It definitely would have limited. Cause once you make music like a part of your life, like that is literally like, it's a full-time job. People don't understand that, you know, like professional musicians, like they're still in practice rooms, you know, like four, six, eight hours a day, like it's a full-time job. You have to be. Yep. Absolutely. You get so, I mean, I'm not, I'm not nowhere on the spectrum of you and you know, I try and pick up the guitar and I'm like, man, I used to be really good. And now I can't remember any of the things I used to know. Yeah. You got to keep your chops up, man. <laughs> yeah. And you still obviously have the, you know, the fingering and the, and the scales that, you know, but everything else just kind of feels like a little ambivalent. Like I, I, I used to know how to write music at one point and where'd that go? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, what were you able to work at all? when you were younger? Like, did you have- Oh my goodness, yeah. Like, I definitely had to get a job. My okay, mom was I very- thought so. I mean, it seemed like you were pretty gung-ho on the cello, but, you know, also being from a poor family, I'm sure you had a job at a pretty young age. Yes, definitely okay. had a job at a very, very young age. My mom was very, like, nonsensical when it came to lots of things. So when it came to education, she was like, you, no, we're always going for straight A's. Don't mess up in school because, yeah. like, yeah, I will definitely whoop your ass, so don't do that. <laughs> and then, I mean, she pretty much told us, too. She was like, look- I'm your mom. I'm here to take care of you. But once you guys graduate from high school, you got two choices. You can go to college and move out or you can get a job and move out. Wow. And I was like, I'm 15 years old, like almost (laughs) going to be 16. So I probably should just like go to college because (laughs) I can maybe only still work at like I was working at Papa John's at the time, you know, Mm -hmm. just folding pizza boxes and taking (laughs) people's orders and stuff, you know. So it's just like craziness thinking about just going to the real world thing. So I just chose college, man. And so then you uh, so you went away to college. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My mom. Uh. I went to SIU, Edwardsville. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. And it was definitely like me going and moved away. moved into the dorms at 15? Uh-huh. Okay. That's, 
uh, way beyond me. I was so naive and yep. still living in the box at that age too. Yeah, no, th- there was no other place I could go. Literally, like, dude, my mom, yeah. she, when she said she, I was like the last of the runs and like the litter to be yeah. like out, man, she called me literally two weeks after. And she was like, hey, babe. I was just like, where are you calling from? Like, why is this the five, six, like five, six, one number? She's like, oh, I moved to Florida. <laughs> uh, I'm down here living my best life now. And I'm just like, well, what am I gonna do for like holidays and stuff? She's like, you'll figure it out. Awesome. Good luck. Enjoy yourself. So holy <laughs> crap. Like, how did that affect you? I mean, did you, you know, haven't, were all the sisters always around growing no. up? No. Okay, One sister lived in Florida. My other sister uh, lived in Illinois. And then my other sister lived off and on between Milwaukee and Illinois, you know? Mm-hmm. But I mean, even them, um, they weren't really like around like often, you know? If I ever needed anything, I know I could always call my family like to depend yeah. on them. But there were some times where it got a little sticky. Like I remember one year, um, oh my God, mom's gonna listen to this. She's gonna freak out. (laughs) But uh, one year I was in school, I believe it was my sophomore year. And if you lived on like the dorms in Cougar Village during like special holidays or whatnot, spring break, you would have to like, you you have to leave. But at one point in time, um, I was like, I know my mom's not gonna have money for me to be able to go home for like the holidays and whatnot. And I was gonna go stay with one of my friends, but that ended up like not working out. So Mm -hmm. I was just like, shit, what am I supposed to do now? And I knew I couldn't stay in the dorm. So honestly for five days, actually for about, yeah, it's about five, about five to seven days, I actually just lived in my car. And just camped out there, and I just put all my little clothes and stuff from my closet in there to keep me warm and whatnot, and didn't tell anybody because I for December. some reason, yeah, I was super super prideful when I was little too, and I didn't want to ever have to make anybody worry or do anything like oh that, you know. So I was kind of like homeless for like a little bit, and I just kind of <laughs> went in my car and was just like, hey, this is what's going on. Um, that wasn't the first time that happened uh, when I was in college, but it was just I think I was just really way too young yeah. to honestly kind of like be out there on my own because you don't really have no like life skills, man. Like you no. don't know about like credit and like balance and checkbooks no, no and like, idea. you know, like saving up and how to like fend for yourself or even how to fucking go grocery shopping appropriately, you know? Right. But it makes you grow up really fast. <laughs> yeah, clearly. My God. Um, Definitely makes you grow up really, really fast. But I love college, man. I love college. I love high school. I, I love just like everything. I never had a really bad experience. Even me living in Southern Illinois and coming out as being gay in Mount Vernon, you know, like yeah. I was just like, dude, you're doomed. Well, but, I don't know any, I'm, I'm trying to even like think about Mount Vernon and my previous experiences. Oh. I can't even think about it. Yeah. Southern I, Illinois, I know I've been through super there. country. Right. Um, about 20,000 people. <laughs> like, yeah, very small. But I mean, everyone was very receptive to it. Most of my friends were just like, oh, we already knew. And That's no one ever gave me a hard it kind time. of goes against the stereotype Absolutely. of what everybody else yeah. would imagine, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was super blessed, man. Like, I have no qualms about any of that stuff. People tell me all the time, oh, you probably hated high school. Then I was like, no, nah, man, I loved high school. I killed it in high school. <laughs> <laughs> For the year that you were there. <laughs> yeah, like, absolutely killed it. Um, but I don't know. I think that's just part of, like, growing up, you know? Sometimes you just got to be pushed inside into the deep end to really kind of, like, learn who you are as a person, you know? Well, and, you know, also, people don't hear about the positive stories like that. You know, yeah. you hear about the negative stories as rightfully you should, but nobody ever hears about Tyler growing up in Mount Vernon, Illinois and coming out and being a cello player and, and, and having a supportive community there with him yeah, and yeah. friend base. And they're still super supportive, man. <laughs> That's awesome. That's incredible. Um, so man, I'm still just trying to absorb everything you've told me about <laughs> not being able to go home for the holidays, being kicked out at 15. I mean, you must have endless stories just of those four to five years of oh, college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Lots scrapping, were you, so did you, 
get a job during the holidays ever or? Uh, yeah. So, uh, or were you working while you were in school? I was working. I definitely had to work when I was in school. Yeah. Because I was really just uh, dependent on like scholarships. Like my mom was like, I can't pay for you to go to school. Like I can barely even like send you money for anything. So it's really up to you to kind of like pave your way. So because of like scholarships and stuff for music, I got like meal cards and whatnot, but you mean, there was one year, like I think it was my first semester. I was like, yeah, yeah. I got all this food. I got a milk cart. Let's do it. <laughs> Two months in, dude, like everything's spent. I'm just like, you <laughs> idiot. Like, you yeah. know, you got to start to pace yourself. You got a budget. You just can't buy everything. Just eat it all. Cause like now what are you going to do? So I ended up getting a job in the music library. Okay. And worked in there. Absolutely love that job too. Um, Cause like I said, I was super immersed in like music when I was, you know, um, middle school and high school mm-hmm. and college, you know, like that's all I did. I just eat, breathe and sleep like music, you know? Sure. Um, so that was a really, really good experience for me. Cause it wasn't really like a stressful job mm-hmm. and it also didn't require, you know, like lots of physical activity. Yeah. You know, I was sitting them there putting a book so I could still study and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so it just worked out really well, but yeah, I've always been working. Definitely always been working. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened then you graduated and did you get a new job or started, you stopped playing music for a while? I uh, never stopped that? playing. So I still was in community orchestras and whatnot because music has always been um, my solace. Yeah. And it's kind of helped me get through a lot of just really sticky and just tough situations, you know? So sure. I always uh, had that kind of like on the back burner, like, hey, if, you know, you don't really find anything that you really enjoy doing besides music, you can always go back to and get your master's, you sure. know, and then just keep pursuing that. But right after college, I ended up just doing a few like odd things that I really hated. Like I went into sales, lasted mm. there for like two weeks and I was like, nah, fuck this game. Like not yeah. doing cold calling. Like this is horrible. Uh, Isn't it? It's horrible. It's the worst. Yeah, horrible. <laughs> um, and then after that, I went and just worked with um, like retail for a little bit, hated that. And then uh, went over in to this place called Touchpoint Autism Services and ended up uh, Touch working point with people. What? Touchpoint Autism Services. Oh, autism. Yeah. So for four years, I was a behavioral um, instructional assistant for Touchpoint. So I work with people with developmental disabilities and autism and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And that's actually where I really found food, hmm. you know, and how food kind of really changed uh, people's like lives and sure. how important it was to them because we were in kind of like- um, What age was this? 20. So I would have been, yeah, it would have been from 20 all the way until 24. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 2024, uh, 24, 25. Um, but we were in like assisted living facilities. So we were trying to get these people rehabilitated so that they could actually go out and, mm-hmm. you know, and have a life for themselves, yeah. you know? So we would take them out grocery shopping. We would teach them, you know, like how to balance like their checkbooks because they would always go sure. to a day program, you know? But at the end of the day, you know, we were like, we also have to teach you like regular life skills, like how to cook and whatnot. Sure. And a lot of the times, man, like we'd be in there and these people we teach them how to cook and they would just get so excited. Yeah. And I really opened my eyes to, you know, like how important food was to people. But then once they ate something that was actually like flavorful mm. because they had so many other people that worked in the, like the setting that really didn't know how to cook, you know? So, I mean, they would just do easy stuff like get box macaroni and cheese and do that. <laughs> so these people weren't even really eating like nutritional, you know, food and whatnot. So once I came in and started doing it and started cooking and stuff, I was like, no, you guys are going to eat this. You're going to do this. And you're was this like this. a school setup format? Or no, did they live this, this is all like houses. So I would oh, actually go oh, to houses wow. okay. and each house would have like four to five individuals living in it. Gotcha. That would all live like in a, that's why we call it like assisted living, you know? Sure. So I mean, we'd spend a night with them. We would stay there, uh, take them where they needed to go and whatnot. But I just really kind of saw that food was more like of a, a healing, you know, sure. thing. And these people and were- music yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, Were you able to like uh, cross with your uh, music abilities in some of those situations as well? Because I know- music therapy, obviously, um, and food and all these different things, it seems like different people 
um, with autism have something that connects with them that allows them to escape kind of um, the symptom or the situation that they're in. Oh, absolutely. In their mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I would come and like play my cello like mm. um, on occasion like mm-hmm. when we were there. But for most of the time, it was all about just, you know, just teaching just them cooking. how to like cook, you know. That's awesome. And that's kind of where like my love grew for it because that was like the way my mom always kind of like uh, treated us for special things because mm-hmm. we didn't really, like I said, have a lot of money growing up. So she would cook for us. Yeah. Like, what's your favorite thing? What do you want to do? So that's, that's awesome. always kind of been really kind of like um, something that always hits home to me. And then after that, I really just started to become really depressed because the way like the state kind of treats people with oh, like yeah. development disabilities and whatnot and like the funding that's available for them and doing things like that. So um, I ended up just needing just a change yep. and moved to St. Louis <laughs> and was just like, I need a job. What the hell am I going to do? <laughs> and my friends were like, you should cook, you should cook, you should cook. And I was just like, all right. Nah, I'm not gonna do that. I was like, I was like, I was like fuck that game. Like, I, I don't want to be a chef. I want to be in anybody's kitchen. No. And then Top Chef came out, mm. and then that was kind of like, hmm, this is kind of cool, you know? This is awesome. And then the more I thought about it, I was just like, you can have this job forever, dude. It was like people always gotta eat. Yeah, you know. I was like, they may not always want to listen to classical music. I was like, but people always want to be fed. <laughs> and I was just like, this is job security, like at its finest. So sure. went on Craigslist and applied for a job at the Crossing and. They called me. Wow. Like, yeah, there you go. Um, that was 10 years ago. What kind of chef? I was doing Garmo. So I was plating up salads. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and uh, who, the crossing, who was the head chef there? Oh, who was the head chef there? I know Jimmy Fowler owns it, but I mean, they've gone through so many chefs now and it was 10 years ago. Yeah. I believe his first name was Brian. Okay. Yeah. And then how long did you last there? I mean, it was just... Oh, I was only at the crossing for like two months. Okay. Like, yeah. It was very, very short <laughs> because from that uh, position, I ended up just bumping elbows with people like the universe mm-hmm. is crazy dude and ended up hearing about this place called Demon Oyster Bar and they were just oh, like yeah. we need some people and we need you know we're hiring and whatnot and um went over there met Jay and met his crew and ended up working there and I was there for almost a year and a half and then honestly it just kept going up from there dude like when I, did you start to branch off into pastry and dessert oh three years ago when I went to Element that's it uh-huh yeah that's blows my mind I've always <laughs> <laughs> like had to do like desserts and stuff for like my menus. Sure. Cause I was executive chef for three other places before I went over to element. So as soon as um, I ended up just going over there, they just needed like a line cook dude. And I was already burnt out. I was just like tavern of fine sure. arts at clothes. And I was like, I'm done with the 70 hour like work weeks. Uh-huh. I was like, my friends hate me. My family hates me. Cause I never <laughs> see them. I was just like, I'm stressed out. I was like, I'm not losing weight. Cause I'm not eating properly. Oh and I was just God. like just stressed out. So I was just like, Nope, we're just doing this. Josh needed help, and he was just like, yep, this is what you can do. These are how many hours, or how many, however many hours you want. It's what we can give you. And I was like, all right, sweet. <laughs> and Johnny was just like, one day he came to me. Is uh, it Josh who? Josh Charles. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And where's he at now? So Josh Charles, he's living his best life, man. Okay. He started, he started uh, doing food, but he really found out his passion was like fitness and helping awesome. people to do um, – just really like fitness and nutrition. Sure. So right now he is teaching like growing classes. He's teaching spinning classes. He's doing CrossFit. He's still doing his like um, meal prep services and stuff for other people. But mm-hmm. I mean, he kind of stepped back away from food a little bit just to get a different perspective on stuff. And he is living it up, man. So yeah. you just never know, you know? That's great to hear. You know, I think uh, a lot of people that listen to this may not have such fluid professional careers. Uh-huh. And I think the more that people hear about these different types of professional paths I think it's motivating for them to just be and this I'm not this isn't even like a business or entrepreneurial podcast but I just think it's so fascinating that you don't have to just do the thing that you know you're good at in order to make the money in order to have the things that you think you need yeah you know if you ease up and you're more mindful of your finances and more mindful of 
yourself. Exactly. You can find out where it, yourself will take you and where your passions and your interests will lead you. And it's so, you know, there doesn't have to be any one pathway that everybody has to take. Absolutely. And there, there usually isn't. There's usually no, that, m- multiple paths for people, you know? Right. A, a lot of the business and podcasts and stuff that I listen to, you always get people that have been in corporate jobs, you know, been doing yeah. this for like 30 years. And then one day they just kind of step back and they're just like, I'm not living my best life, right. you know, for me. Like, yeah, I'm out here making six figures, but I'm just not happy. And I think that's no. what it comes down to at the end of the day. It's just you finding like your happiness. Yes. Yeah. And and it may be in that situation. I always stress too that entrepreneurs are no better than anybody else. Nope. You know, it's just that we're more aligned with um, trying to do different things to make money instead of just relegating salary and, and the job to a different part of your brain. Absolutely. You know, and I, I, in some ways I'm jealous of that, right? A lot of times, you know, like when the roller coaster is taking a dip, you're like, God damn it. I wish I was making that salary right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. wouldn't have to worry about anything. And there's also, uh, I talk about this a lot is the mental separation. When you have a salary position, albeit not in the food industry, um, when you go on vacation, you're able to completely mentally separate from that. Yeah. You don't care. Nope. But when you're an entrepreneur, you go on vacation, you take all your jobs with you all and you're thinking about them while you're on the beach. Yep. You know, and that's just kind of the trade-off, you know, and, and, and then there's also just, you know, there's a whole lot of things that obviously go into that. And social media has now started to play such a big part in that for good and bad. But mm-hmm. to me, it's it's been really interesting to see all of your different interests just kind of take off and then start to interweave with each other. Yeah. Especially the food photography. Like that is, when you started doing that, I was like, oh my God, this guy is unstoppable. (laughs) You know, and to know that you've only started, well, okay, not started, but only started focusing on pastry uh, and, um, and am I saying it correctly? Pastry and. Yeah. Okay. Sweets. Just call them sweets. I just, I get (laughs) But since you started doing them, you've always had a very aesthetic eye towards doing them and the, and the layout and the preparation and, and really treating them like really, aside from tasting fantastic, like really focusing on how they look. Uh-huh. And I think that that's been obviously your strong approach to everything. I think people remember you for that. You know, they remember the gold flake and the, and the different um, yeah, crystallization processes that you're doing in order to make that food item pop. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It has always been that way, though. Like, right. we all take baby steps. Like, the shit I was pretty. making before, whoa, like, <laughs> Lord Jesus. Like, I look back at some of my food, like, back in the day, I'm just like, what were you thinking? Like, mad man. Um, but I just think it just has to do with just being really motivated. And I think that I get my like aesthetics and like my approach for food from honestly just seeing like reading lots of books about like Michelin star chefs mm. or people out there that are out there winning awards or people that are, you know, from France or Japan, you know, like yeah. I am so obsessed with like Japanese pastries and like French pastries. It is oh, insane. I bet, I bet they're off the charts. Because yeah. And just aesthetically, they are just beautiful and they're just different, you know? Yeah. And I think that once I started seeing these books and reading all these different things, you know, I was just like, you know, they call it culinary arts for a reason. Mm, like it is, that's a great point. It, it's an art form. Yeah. You know, and I was just like, so why don't we treat it that way? And I think that I didn't really start to pursue any of like the weird stuff that I'm doing now because I was like always limited and I was always limiting myself, you know? Sure. But I think that once I was able to really kind of get out of like the restaurant world, you know, working there as like a regular like the nine trap. to five type things, you yeah. know? Yeah. It just opened my eyes to just more possibilities. And as soon as I left my job, I said, you know what, bro? I said, no, we're not like cutting all the bullshit. Now yep. you, is the time where you're honestly going to follow your dreams and do 
what it is that you love to do, you know? Were you able to put away money in order to finance Oh my that? goodness, no. <laughs> this was the probably the worst, like, it was, it was definitely not planned out. Like, yeah. I didn't know I was going to be leaving my job until probably like two weeks after, um, like, we ended up having a meeting and I just kind of sat down at home one day and I was like, you know what? I think I'm done. <laughs> and I was just like, what? Yeah, I think I'm just done. I was like, yeah, we're going to do something else. You know, it's just like. Inner dialogue. Yeah. I, I, was, I was like, now is the time. I was like, if you're going to be doing all of these things and investing this much time into somebody else's business, I was like, you need to just get off your ass and invest it in like your own thing. Yeah. If not, you're going to work for people for the rest of your life. But how'd you balance that with bills? Uh, so <laughs> I ended up honestly like leaving that place. I had a little bit of money like mm -hmm. set aside, but nothing to be able to like start a business. I sure. mean, in a matter of literally like two months, I went from just having Alchemy Bakery to also expanding mm -hmm. into sacred geometry and also into ether and just doing like restaurant consulting and all these other things. But I mean, I have a really good like support system, you know? Yeah. And luckily at the time, like I actually had like a roommate. So that mm -hmm. always helps out, you yep. know, situations. So I'm not just paying everything like by myself, you know? So yeah. that was always a plus. But I mean, the universe just really had like a plan for me. And as soon as I ended up leaving, like it was just like, hey, I got this party that we need catered. Can you do this? Hey, calling wow. you up. I know you're not working at this place anymore. So you got more time than God. Can you come over <laughs> and help us do this? And I was just like, absolutely. So I mean, like the jobs kind of kept coming. And that honestly was the clear sign to me. Well, that I, I was on the right path. You know, I also think it's, you know, in addition to the universe, I think it's your positivity and energy and, and people knowing that as well, that want them that they want. They're like, oh, he's a great person. I've worked with him before. I want him to influence whatever I'm doing right now. And I think that, you know, you shouldn't discount your own tools that you've developed. Oh, I definitely don't discount that. I put in a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, man. I've been working my ass off for 10 years, so. <laughs> I mean, and the character building that you had to do that I can't even imagine because I was just such a jiggly puff of a child still at 15 and 20. Yeah. You know, and, uh, uh, and the resourcefulness that you had to take upon yourself. Was there anything that like, Aside from the obvious, was there any sort of thing that aided you in being resourceful during those times? Uh, the fact that it had to be. Yeah. Like I've said, I've been Just on my own pretty much since I was like 15, you know, and yep. from there, I've always had the mindset, you know, like you just got to do what you got to do, man. Cause at the end yeah. of the day, a lot of the times the only person you can really depend on is yourself. Yep. So I thought that, you know, like if I'm going to be dependent on me, that I want to make sure that I am true to myself, you mm -hmm. know, and that I'm not shortchanging myself and I'm literally doing the things that one will make me become the person that I truly want to be. But at the same time, you know, I didn't want to like shortchange myself, you yeah. know? And when it comes to just getting things done, like I have always been, not always, cause I fucking procrastinate all the time, but I've always been, you know, really, <laughs> really uh, good about just, um, just taking the bulls by the horns and not taking anything for granted, you know? Cause yeah. every time I get an opportunity that presented in front of me, I always, you know, like, oh my God, like, thank you. I always say thank you. One, do you also have the idea like, Oh shit, I lived in a car. If I have to, to pursue my dreams, I can, you know, it, it, it's kind of like, I'm willing to give everything away in order to risk it all to keep doing what I want to do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that, yeah, that's one of the, the things that I've learned and relearn kind of all the time is like, you know, I can survive. I can get by. Yep. I've been doing this now for over a decade. And if I have to, and it gets really bad, I'll figure it out. Yeah. You know, if yeah, I yeah. go back to zero, I'm going to figure it out again. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people just aren't ready to lose that security blanket of like my 401k, uh, you know, having X amount of money and all my streaming services and, and cable and this and that and that and that, you know, and it's just that they build up this comfort bubble that they feel like they have to have. Yeah. And I think one of the most powerful things I ever did was at a young age, 
one, I definitely, I didn't grow up as poor as you, but I grew up with a mindset uh-huh. of probably driven by anxiety that I didn't know that we were going to be out on the streets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would ask my mom and my mom, God bless her. Uh, she would say, I would say, mom, do we have enough money? <laughs> you know, I'm like eight years old. And she's like, I don't know. And yes, we did. Yeah. You know, my dad was a professor and she was a teacher, but it was just the idea that like, okay, I guess I got to start saving. You know, and my, and my mom really reinforced that like, yep, you do need to worry about money. You're not getting an allowance. You don't get anything free from us. Yeah. And you need to figure it out. Now that may not have been the actual case, but it, caused me to start like keeping uh, an accountant like okay all right I've got this much money in my wallet I got this much money in my piggy bank you know this is what I can and cannot do and and while my mom was giving money to kids on Sunday at church to go out and eat she'd like nope you you figure it out yeah I'm like what are you doing you just gave my friend Matt five dollars <laughs> I want to get five dollars to go to Paniera too or whatever <laughs> Britco <laughs> but I think that's a key key thing to like know at a young age is the power of money yeah and then to know that like, once you start making it, that it doesn't, it's not that you start to disrespect it, but it just doesn't necessarily have to hold any power over you Absolutely. either. Absolutely. And so one thing that I've learned in probably the past six, seven years is how good it is to say no to projects mm-hmm. or to just turn things down because it's not worth it to you in a different sense. Absolutely. You know, like, that, yeah, good money, cool just not interested or I think you should reach out to this agency or, you know, or this chef or this individual. And I find that such a good problem to have a good thing to uh, practice because it's um, once you realize that the money is secondary and that you have a good grasp on it, but you don't need it, Uh then it kind of starts to come to you in different ways. Absolutely. And through your passions and the things that you want to do. Absolutely. So I don't know that I, I just, it's hard to find people that think that way all the time. And that's why it's hard to find entrepreneurs that are actually like, you know, out yeah. there doing it. There are lots of people out there that you said have nine to fives, but there are very few people out there really pursuing right. their dreams because it takes that first step, you know? Yes. And, you, and it also takes, you know, believing in yourself to be able to do it. That's, yeah, it's definitely scary, but I mean, I always think about, you know, like quotes and stuff that people always tell me and, sure. you know, people always say, this is the big one right here. You know, there's no plan B, there's only plan A. But I mean, the more you think about it, it actually makes a lot of sense because a lot of people, I think we have these misconceptions that, you know, like, oh, it's never going to work out. It's not going to work out, blah, blah, blah. You know, when you start to think that way, then that's the thing you start to manifest, you know? Mm -hmm. But I think that if you really kind of start to just get like a little bit of tunnel vision and be like, you know, like, what is it that I really want to do and what can make me happy? And you just, you know, take that first step, you know? You have to get out there and really just put your best foot forward. But at the same time, you have to have a lot of faith in yourself, you know? That's true. And I think that people use, you know, like part-time jobs or, hey, you know, I can still do this. You know, they have crutches and stuff that they sure. can always kind of fall back on. And for me, I just took all those crutches away. I was well, just, yeah, and don't get me wrong. I think it's good to have those sometimes yeah. too. You know, I think it's smart to have incoming money while you're trying oh, to yeah, pursue absolutely, something. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yes, that's, that's really, really smart. Um, but eventually but, you got to, kick the training wheels off. Yeah. And yeah. Say, all right, let's coast. Let's figure this out. Yeah. You know, 
And it's not even money per se. It's just them, you know, still doing things that they just don't enjoy doing, you know? And it's more time management. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think that that's just really something that's important. And I just woke up one day, dude, and I was just like, you know what? Like, no, now, now or never. That's awesome. I'm not getting any younger. So let's do it. And here we are. (laughs) And so then all these individual jobs just started coming onto your plate and, and then you, how did you structure your time? You'd say, all right, I'm focused on that. Knock that out. And then tomorrow I'm going to be working on photography or coming up with other uh, dessert uh, processes or designs or. I treat it just like a job. Interesting. Like, yep. I, I, I honestly got into my head, you know, if you want to make this successful, yep. I was just like, then you can't really just pick and choose and stuff when you want to work. You have to really be super regimented and you got to sure. just treat it like a nine to five. So I usually start working up 10. Yep. And then I always end my days about four, four thirty, you know, and mm-hmm. then during those times are usually when I'm doing like lots of like my R and D or baking. That's doing, cool to yeah. hear too. I think other people think like you got to have like 16 hour days and no. wake up at, wake up at five and then you start at six thirty or seven and you're going until seven and. I mean, some days you will definitely have those days, you know, For like sure. especially when you're starting off, but it shouldn't be that way. No, it shouldn't. Yeah. I'm, I'm you know, there's, there's only one Elon Musk for a reason. You know, there's only one Steve Jobs. <laughs> there's only, you know, one of these people that do those things because they'll probably die young. Yep. <laughs> because you, you only have so much gas in the tank and I'm of the same mindset as well. Like I've really incorporated a daily, daily reading ritual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I do it in the morning. Because uh-huh. I realize in the morning, I retain things so much better. Absolutely. Instead at night, if you're sitting in bed and you're trying to read something, especially if it's not fiction, it just, you know, it's gone. Yeah. It, the book falls down and you fall asleep and you're like, what did I read? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I've learned so much over the past two, three years incorporating that ritual of like, oh, 30 to 45 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. I'm just reading, not even checking the email. Trying to meditate. I haven't been, I haven't been that good at meditating. Mm-hmm. Do, do you meditate? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that's actually part of my like morning routine right there. Yeah. And it's really not even like the reading aspect for you, the 20, 25 to 35 minutes, like mm-hmm. is not only important because you do, you know, get to immerse yourself in like a really good book, but that's literally you taking the time out of your yeah. day to dedicate just to you. Yes. And I think that that's very important. So I do the same thing that you do. And it's usually always in the morning because I know once it comes like 1030, like yeah. I'm going to start getting phone calls. I'm going to start getting emails <laughs> yep. and text messages and stuff. So honestly, like right about 830, like I wake up, I don't read. I actually get up. I always have like this weird thing where I do like a apple cider vinegar shot. have to make like oh. a little like tincture in the morning with like, some turmeric <laughs> and stuff to get like my metabolism going. Like just and, straight apple cider vinegar in a shot? No. So it's apple cider vinegar, water, lemon okay. juice, honey, okay. and cayenne pepper. <laughs> and I always do that. That's better. I want, my friend once. <laughs> time she was um good friend i don't know if you you might even know her chelsea ritter sorenin i was getting sick and she's like just take an apple cider vinegar shot i'm like okay literally took a shot of apple cider vinegar uh-huh. straight and immediately <laughs> just hit my gag reflex and i just instantly puked <laughs> i was like what the fuck are you trying to do to me this is not helping me get better <laughs> no no this stuff actually tastes good well you got to break it down though yeah. with water and lemon juice and cinnamon and cayenne and whatever yeah. uh no, that's cool. Um, and then you're just, how do you meditate? Are you doing uh, transcendental or just 
Yeah. So what like I do, um, I do different um, types of meditation. Uh, a lot of the times, you one uh, the one first thing I start off with is kind of like this twenty one day meditation that Deepak Chopra has, mm-hmm. and I I go through cycles of it. So I start from day one, go all the way to day twenty one, and start it over. Sure. Because you do like prompts, so you write things down while you're grateful for stuff, or you know different things you really want to manifest. And over the course of you know doing it multiple times, you really see how you you've evolved as a person, also yeah. how your goals and whatnot have evolved as a person. And those meditations are like five minutes, which is like perfect it's more enough yeah. time for even a person that doesn't know how to meditate can do it mm-hmm. and then immediately after that i do it's going to be kind of weird but i do like a little like crystal work and stone work mm-hmm. so i got probably close to 20 different um crystals and stuff in my house usually i'm using like selenite or i'll get like tiger's eye out or amethyst and whatnot and then i'll actually do sound bathing um and i use that i actually use the app for that or i'll get my sound bolts out and i think that that right there is like 15 minutes you'll of, use one of those sound bowls that uh, mm-hmm. but what how does the app work with that? So I have an app. It's called actually Solfagio. And what the app does is actually it helps with sound bathing. So there are different frequencies in which all chakras are attuned to. Uh, okay. So it actually has all seven frequencies on there. So you can pick which one you want to listen to during mm-hmm. that time. I plug it into my surround sound. Mm-hmm. I get in my yoga mat. I get my crystals out. And then honestly, whatever it is that I think that or whatever chakra point that I think needs to be fulfilled or what I need to work on, then that's the sound. So you're not doing do. the sound bowl. Um, yeah, or sometimes I get my ball out, but oh, my ball okay. is only one frequency. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So this one helps out a, a, like a lot. And it's actually really grounded me. Um, and it's just really eye-opening, man. And it's a really form of meditation that I think works best for me when it comes to it. Cause I get sure. a, a lot of clarity when mm-hmm. I do it, you know, I'm not a type of person that can just sit down in silence and be like home, you know, trying to, you know, get in touch with like the universe, you know, I've actually got to have like noise and sound, you know, do you think that the, uh, the process of laying out the crystals and doing the sound uh, bowl or sound bath um, are part of the calming nature of it? Yes. yes okay. Yes. Yes. Because it puts you in more of like a ritualistic kind of like mindset where mm-hmm. you really get into kind of like your flow of the day. Sure. And once you honestly devote that time, especially like I know I'm going to wake up, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to meditate, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to tidy up my house. Yeah. Because that's literally like me kind of like wiping the board clean and me really starting my day off with like a really like just clear mind, lots mm-hmm. of clarity and stuff, you know? That's I don't have to worry about coming home and cleaning and doing that stuff because I got all the things that I really don't want to do like <laughs> out of the way, like in the morning, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I also get my meditation and stuff because that's really important for me to have my uh, like my me time. Yeah. Because I think that when you don't have that me time, then it kind of you, you, I feel, uh, sorry, I don't mean to cut in. I want to hear what you think. Yeah. I, I mean, I just think it's really, really important because that's you kind of investing in yourself for the day, you yeah. know, cause you're about to go out and invest in other people, you know, by working for them. So you really, really need to just sit down and just tell the universe like, Hey, like I appreciate everything you done. Like also tell yourself, Hey, I appreciate the fuck out of you for it. Keep it <laughs> going, you know? And then you go. Yeah. I, I think that it helps, you know, whether it's meditating or what you're doing or journaling, I think it helps to define each day. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is more important than people really give it credit for, because if you start to fall into this systematic approach to life, following a schedule, mm-hmm. doing the same thing day after day after day with no difference in it whatsoever, or no time for self-reflection, then obviously that day feels like, a, or that week feels like a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do four weeks of that, that month feels like a day. Yeah. It's because you're not doing anything different yep. whatsoever. And that is, uh, to me, one of the key things in being happy. Yeah. Is like, I want, uh, obviously there's feast and famine and there's, you know, times where you do have to work on a prod, the same thing for like a week straight. 
but you want to feel that like each day you've done something to fulfill a certain aspect of what it means to be a human being. Yep. And not just have it be another day, you know, another day on, uh, on a prison wall that you're just Absolutely. marking off. Yeah, yeah. So I, I appreciate any kind of insight and difference that people have when it comes to these processes in order to make each day feel like its own unique thing to where anything could happen. Yeah, you I know? think it's super important too. Like I'm a list guy, like I make more lists than probably it, yeah. it, it, oh. anybody ever. Yeah. Because I think it's really important <laughs> for people just to plan your day out too. Yes. Like if you just go in blind, yeah. the chances are you're going to miss something or, you know, you didn't do something correctly or, you know, you, a lot of times too, if you don't make like lists, you don't really know what you're capable of doing, man. I get no. lists of 40 things sometimes and I'm just like, oh my God, I'm never going to do this. And then I'll look at the clock at like 3.30 I'm like, ah, oh, you just fucking killed it. Dude. You got everything <laughs> done. So, yeah. you know, it also, it just gives you a lot of, um, like foresight into yep. how you are as like an individual and also just keeps you like just more in your game, man. Like you got to have lists, you got to have systems and stuff in place for you to be able to execute things properly. You know, I right. That's very important. What I'm working on is trying to get a, a bunch of good days in a row. You yeah. know, like when you have a good day and you're like, I went above and beyond my list. I got so many other things done today and for the future. And then you feel accomplished. You maybe got a workout in, you maybe ran, lifted yoga you come back, you're like, this is a great day. Have a great meal, rest, relax a little bit, go to bed. And then I think what happens is like, man, I had such a good day yesterday. I'm going to like slide a little bit right now. Yeah. You know, I'm, and, and then that slide starts to carry out over into the afternoon. Uh -huh. You're like, shit. And you're realizing it's happening and you're like, oh, it's okay. I'll still just, just let me get to that back in the afternoon and I'll be fine again. Yeah. And then you're like, fuck, I just had a bad day. Yeah. So it's, I'm really trying to get good at having multiple good days back to back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it requires that intense kind of focus and and priority planning and energy. Yeah. You know, and that means getting a good amount of sleep. Not only getting a good amount of sleep, but also, like you said, like investing in yourself, like yeah. eating properly, working out, or mm -hmm. just being active, surrounding yourself by like-minded individuals, you know, right. they'll also keep you really, really motivated and stuff. And then people also just to keep you really, really grounded, you know? Yeah. Like I got tons of people that I just talk to just because I just love their perspective, you know? They right. don't take anything ever for granted. And then if you ever start to hear anybody like, or if you yourself, you know, start to get a big hit, oh no, they'll bring you right back down. You know, sometimes <laughs> they got to like knock you back down, you know? And yeah. you also have to just, I don't know, be just really, really conscious about how you work best. You know, yeah. everyone has different systems and stuff. And I think it takes a little bit of time in order for you to really find out like, you know, what your jam is. That's so true. And I feel people underestimate how much time it takes to even understand yourself and then they feel the need to judge others yeah. on what they are and aren't doing. Yep. I'm like, motherfucker, you don't even have yourself figured out <laughs> yet. You know? Yeah. How are you casting any sort of judgment What in any realm, you know, to where you think you can tell another person what is good or not good for them? Mm -hmm. Now, granted, there are some larger takeaways that you can apply to a large group of people and say, well, I think it may be better for you if you do this, you know? But you have to do that with an open mind and an open heart. You can't just say, you're doing everything wrong and that's why you're fat and unemployed and yeah. X, Y, Z. It's like, well, you don't know what they're going through. Because that's also not constructive too. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, but I do think people, uh, I, I wish just so many people would focus more on their physical health because I think it would alleviate so many symptoms that they feel, especially like anxiety. I think 
I think we're all suffering from like a collective anxiety, mm-hmm. especially now, yeah. right? right? With all the, the uh, virus, uh, coronavirus stuff going around. And um, I think that a lot of that anxiety is uh, relieved when you're doing something hard physically. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And for me, it's running. And I, I, I haven't been to yoga in quite a while and I miss it. But uh, when I'm running, I've run so much that my body is doing something that allows my mind to become untethered. Absolutely, yeah. It allows it to almost take a, a what's that term? Um, almost to where you can look in on yourself from outside yourself. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, inf- yeah. Infinite regress or whatever it is. Um, but trying to get outside of your own relationship to reality. Uh-huh and see what is and isn't working and, and letting things come into your mind and out of your mind quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything physical actually is some of the best type of motivation. I mean, not motivation, but um, meditation. Meditation, too. yes. People really don't understand, you know, like meditation is about you just sitting in silence and mm-hmm. whatnot. It's actually, like you said, giving your brain yeah. a chance to really like defrag and to, you know, not even really be in the present. You know, yeah. it's like when you are there, like you, people don't understand too. It's like when you're constantly like moving around or you're doing something like that, you know, like that gives your brain, you know, just time to just turn off, yeah. you know, for it just to just be there so it can rest, you know, for sure. Even when you're sleeping, like your brain's not really resting, you Even know, like in meditation camps, uh, or retreats, I don't know if you ever been on one. Uh-huh. Okay. So I know that they have different practices of meditation and that can be writing meditation or uh-huh. walking meditation yep. in addition to the still meditation. Absolutely. Um, how, what was that experience like? Uh, so I've done few, uh, different retreats, like breathing. Uh-huh. Uh, I went to South Carolina and there's a, a, a guy who actually just practices like breath wow. and breathing. And his name is Al uh, Bailey. And what he does is he just helps you get just back to Bailey? your sense. Uh, his name is uh, Al Bailey. Al Bailey. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He helps you just really get back to your center through breath because mm-hmm. he believes that breath is one of the first, it's one of the most natural things that we do, sure. but it's also the first thing we do when we're born. It's also the last thing we do when we're born. I mean, I mean, when we, the last, when we die. Yeah. So his whole thing is really just digging deep and really focusing on breath because that is honestly the foundation for anything, yeah. you know? And I think it helps with anxiety. It helps with you just being mindful of certain situations. And it's something that we just forget to do a lot of the times, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that when we get in scary situations or we have like lots of doubt, you know, just really kind of uh, focus on yourself and focus on what you're doing. Cause a sure. lot of times you just, yeah. And you just stop breathing, you know? And yeah. there have been so many times where I myself do it and I just was not conscious of it. Right. So even now, like if I get into a sticky situation, I literally just take kind a of breath. take a breath, man. And you How don't, long, what's the longest uh, retreat you've done? Uh, I've only, that one was like three days. Okay. Yeah. But he also does like, um, like alchemic healing, uh, who do, um, retreats for those things. He also does, um, it's called Baga which is like walking, like circle walking, mm-hmm. which is like, uh, it's actually like an, um, uh, in Asian cultures, what they do is you pretty much just find uh, an eight foot by eight foot circle. Mm-hmm. And then what you do is you just walk around it. Hmm. And that's how they actually meditate. And what it does is it brings you, it gives you like a lot of mental clarity too, because like your body's moving, but your mind is turned off. And all you do is you walk around the circle. You always look straight ahead because it, it, it helps you to one, trust yourself, mm-hmm. but it's also like a really, really spiritual thing where if you're constantly moving and you're walking around the circle, you know, you're bringing everything like full circle and whatnot. And sure. it's almost like a trance. And then you see these people doing all these circle walking and whatnot. And you just see them going. You're just like, oh my God, like, 
how long have you walked around this thing? Because it's like three feet deep, you know, and it's, it's crazy. It's, it's absolutely crazy. But I mean, like I said, different things work for different people. What's alchemic healing? So, uh, alchemic healing is a thing that, uh, lots of individuals practice, but what it has to do is different, uh, points inside of the body, mm -hmm. but they use different types of based on chakras or yeah, okay. it's usually based. It's basically, it's like a lot of energy working sure. that they do, but they do it even on like more of like a cellular level. Mm -hmm. So even when he was talking about like why he goes and he does these retreats in Belgium, um, because, uh, he ended up having like lots of really, really bad health problems and whatnot. It ended up, uh, getting like cancer. Mm -hmm. inside of his like stomach oh, okay. and ended up going to the doctor. Oh, it wasn't cancer. It was a hernia. He ended up getting a hernia in, um, in his stomach and ended up going to the doctor and was in all this pain. And his buddy called him up, was in Belgium. He's like, Hey, what are you doing? <laughs> He's like, I'm in the hospital right now. And you know, like things aren't going as well as I thought they were. And he was just like, yeah, that's what I'm calling you right now. He was like, I can definitely tell like your energy's off. So let's do this. He was on the phone with this guy and this guy literally walked him through a few like alchemic things that they do and that they practice and whatnot. And within two days, like what would be, do you know what got, no, no, no. Oh, okay. I've, I've never gone to like one of the alchemy retreats. They're one, okay. they're really expensive. And then two, you have to be invited because he repaired it's, his hernia over the phone. He literally like, dude, he said when he first started talking to this guy, he started just, you know, telling them about redirecting his breathing. Hmm. And then also he started telling him, you know, like think about your feet. He was like, I want you to breathe and I want you to think about like your feet getting really, really heavy. Mm -hmm. And I want all of that weight to start going from your feet and I want it to go up like your ankles, to your legs, to your thighs, to your stomach, you know, to your chest, sure. to your shoulders, to your arms and whatnot. And while he was doing this, he was kind of like reciting a few things and also kind of, you know, really teaching him how to hone in on his breathing. He said immediately the pain already went away. Wow. So he said that he was not in any pain um, afterwards. He said that he was able to literally get up, start walking around, do all these other stuff. And the doctor was just like, you know, like, what are you doing? Yeah. And he was just like, no, I feel great now. And they're just like, no, you probably need to get back in the bed and whatnot. You're like, you still aren't ready. And he was like, within two days, he said that he was back to just being his normal functioning what? self from something that had a, a, like afflicted him for almost like a month and a half now. You know, he was like, I had been just excruciating pain. And this, and he, he wasn't said, trying to get you to come to one of the alchemy. Chem, how do you say it? Alchemical? No, because you have to be invited. Oh, like, interesting. Yeah, okay. like even the group that has it. Wasn't it, a like, sales pitch. <laughs> it's, it's weird. It's like, it's, it's like a secret society, you know? Interesting. Yeah. So do, is there ever a point to where you're like, okay, do things ever get to a place where you're like, that's not for me? Like to where you don't, or are you kind of open to any idea of um, I do like spiritualism in general? Yeah. So yeah, things I'm not open to, like, Demonic shit, absolutely not. Sure, yeah. like Wiccan. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean, even but even some like Wiccan things aren't necessarily like demonic, but sure, anything yeah. that's like super super like dark or like not sacrificing anything or doing anything like that. Oh, but right. anything that open like will help me to get a little bit more mental clarity or whatnot, absolutely, I'm down to try. You know, mm -hmm. like I've done different types of yoga before, regular like Ayurvedic yoga, Kemetic yoga before. You know, I know that Kemetic yoga is much more in my alley. Mm -hmm. You know, I've done like sound bathing. I've done like float tanks before. I've done like. Um, like um like chakra clearing and stuff with like crystal works and stuff before I've done oh my goodness <laughs> uh different types of meditation when it comes to a lot of different things um what else have I tried you know like yoga running mm -hmm. like whatever if you say it'll help me you know I'm definitely there to try it I know some things aren't for me though you know yeah I think 
maybe even some of it, like we're saying, is the mind getting into a place to where it feel, uh, feels like it has the power to heal whatever is afflicting you. And Absolutely. It, it may not even be that, like, I actually think that doing this is producing the process, but it's that the mind is getting to a place to where it can fix whatever yeah. is ever off. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, in a very meditative, uh, meditative state. Um, and it, it, de- it definitely can. And that's the reason, I mean, people don't really understand too. The reason why I meditate is because um, I was lost for a really, really long time, you know? And it mm-hmm. took me, it took that in order to, me to get back to like my sense of self, sure. you know? Because I mean, I've dealt with every, everything you know i've dealt with lost just oh no because i i just i've dealt with like drug addiction before i've dealt Mm. with like suicidal ideation like people don't realize you know like they only see like the happy happy go lucky tyler but they don't know like four years ago man like i tried to commit suicide like it was crazy i was in a really really dark part of my life and it's just you know one thing that uh especially when you're in the restaurant industry you know like you have to think about like mental health you know Mm -hmm. and i think that once you start to go and you like neglect yourself after so long you just really kind of forget like who you are and like your purpose and like why you're there you know and i think that really getting and that's honestly just comes from just not having enough self-love man yeah and not really having just like mental clarity we have lots of distractions nowadays and we have things like social media so often we compare our lives to other people's or we you know we're not we always think you know i'm not doing enough and i'm not doing what i'm supposed to be doing yes and then also always being kind of like judged you know mm-hmm. in the, the public's eye or whatnot and then also being like in a restaurant where you're working with food all the time where people are still judging you doing oh, that oh you know God. like it's it psychologically it becomes like a lot you know i can easily see that I mean, yeah. I, I think that uh, I've talked to a lot of restaurateurs and and food people because I think that what they do is so foreign to what I'm used to doing, uh, working from home and, you know, uh, having a buffer yeah. between people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's fascinating to me because opening a restaurant, for example, requires so much... Um, proficiency or even trust in other people to bring one thing together yep. and then you're immediately critiqued by it. Yep. yep. And, and, and Yelp obviously has been just like probably been the cause of a lot of people's uh, mental health decline. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And Absolutely. potential suicides I would imagine. Absolutely. You know? Uh, yeah. And I think that that's, um, and there is just kind of, I feel like the restaurant industry or the food industry does attract um, people that, kind of have a different bent towards life. Uh, and they're, you know, they, obviously I'm thinking about Anthony Bourdain, of yeah. course, and like his whole past and his history and the gang of pirates and how he envisioned working in a restaurant. And, but it also, it's so easy to decline even in that atmosphere. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it definitely is. And just because, I mean, the isolation, you know, yeah. you are still around people like a lot, you know, but even lots of chefs that you talk to, you know, half of them have never been in like a meaningful relationship because they work yeah. all the time, you and know, or alcoholics yeah. or drug addicts, exactly. You know, you know because it, those are it's kind of accepted in a weird way. It is kind of accepted in a weird way, but I think it also has to do with just people kind of just, like I said, like losing like their sense of self. And I think it's just the pressure on top of everything. And you think about, you know, like the industry and whatnot, like, I mean, if you work in a restaurant, chances yeah. are you're going to have a shift drink, you know? And if you have a shift drink, then it's always excessively ready, you know, ready yep. for you to, just to partake in whatever you want. And you're going to hang out afterwards. And you're going to hang out afterwards. Yeah. You're going to do that. And a lot of people that are, you know, like in the culinary field are people that didn't really find like their niche in regular kind of like society per se. You know, these are individuals that like, oh, you know, 
have to go to culinary school or have any schooling or education, you know, in general. So mm-hmm. that also plays a really, really big thing in it, you know, because lots of the time these people already have a little self, low self-esteem. They may not talk to anyone about it, you know, but in their eyes, you know, like, hey, I'm only in this kitchen doing this may not even necessarily because I love to do it, but it's the only thing I kind of have to fall back on, you yeah. know, and that's something that is like really, really unhealthy, you know, to Had, think about. Were you able to find any resources specific to the restaurant industry? Um, so when I was going through kind of like my really, really hard time, I just knew that I was seeing myself mm-hmm. like go away and that it was literally going to be up to me to make a change. And you sure. have to kind of just get off of your ass. And when you're ready to make a change to do something like you'll do it. Yeah. And I just knew like, I got to talk to somebody that has mm-hmm. an unbiased opinion. So I got a therapist. There you go. Yep. And I think everyone should get a therapist. Therapy is <laughs> very, very important. Like it's really, really nice for you to just have somebody talk to. And it doesn't mean you're crazy. No, you know? no, not, N- at not, not at all. Uh, There's been that stigma, I think. And I think it's rapidly declining. Yeah. 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 It doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean that, you know, you can't figure out your own life. It's just really good to just have, you know, a professional individual mm-hmm. there that is really looking out for your well-being to guide you in the direction that you need to go because once you start to become that lost like you've literally like like lost all of like your sense you know like your roadmap to life is just now you know in the shitter you know and sometimes you gotta pull it back out and you gotta rewrite you know like where you think you should go and whatnot but i just knew i just couldn't let myself down i i'm finally starting to see like uh articles focused around um healthy practices in the food industry Uh and restaurants taking uh, yoga classes as a as a complete team, yeah. uh, or, or the staff giving employees sick days. Yeah, you know, yeah, like no shit. <laughs> <laughs> like obvious stuff. Like, super, super, super important. You know. Yeah. And chefs, I mean, we always think about food first. So mm-hmm. we will do whatever you know it takes in order to bang that out. Yeah. You know, even if it's detrimental to our health, you know, yeah. we do it all the Which time. Which is then detrimental to probably everybody else's health. Exactly. That you're serving. <laughs> exactly. You know, you know, that we're hyper aware about right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I am for one glad that you made it out of that and, and are here and help, likewise <laughs> and, and able to help other people that I think, you know, I think that could be something that you may focus on down the road is just how to get out of that dark gulf that a lot of people in the food industry do find yeah. themselves in. And, fall into drugs and alcohol in order to answer. Yep. Um, so, uh, you know, just an idea to add to all of the ideas that you're currently working on. Um, talk to me about what some of your most recent projects are oh, that you can talk about. There's so many. A um, few more shows coming. Mm-hmm. Can't really tell you exactly what they are because we got <laughs> NDAs and stuff. So very excited about one of them in particular. Um, I Are am- you scheduling now a couple months out now because everything's getting canceled? Am I scheduling uh, shows and events? Oh no! So th- these are um, like TV shows. Oh wow! Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you did have some sort. Of, did, did, were you on Top Chef? No, or, or, I wasn't on Top Chef. I was only I was on Food Network's Halloween Bacon Championship season three. Okay, and then I was on Food Network's uh, Thanksgiving Pie Fight this year. Okay, yeah. And so, are more of those opportunities becoming yes. available? Yeah. And is it exciting? Yeah, it's always <laughs> really exciting, man. I love competitions. Yeah, competitions are. It, I don't know. You learn a lot about yourself. And it, I'm just how much of it is bullshit in the production of the show? Oh my goodness! So Too much? <laughs> no, actually, you would be really surprised um, when you see like the shows and stuff. Like I got mad props for anybody that I see on any kind of competition show, mm-hmm. where there's like The Bachelor or like anything <laughs> on Food Network or you know like just anything because you gotta it Perform. takes a lot of guts. Yeah, 
because you're going out on national TV in front of billions of people and you can either embarrass yourself or you can either kill it, you know? Yeah. Psychologically, it's horrible, but <laughs> you literally go on these shows, they set you um, up, they say, hey, you got 45 minutes to make this, you got fucking 45 minutes to make this. Wow. And a lot of the times, like, you don't know what you're gonna do, so it is very- Because they present the themes at the beginning of the show. Well, sometimes or, you don't even know until you get in there. Oh like, God. especially for Halloween Bacon Championship, man, like, we would show up and they'd be like, okay, we'd be sitting there, we'd be like, oh my goodness, what are we gonna do today? <laughs> and like, you're going through your head, like, what are they gonna ask me? What are they gonna ask me? What are they gonna ask me? And they'll be like, you gotta make cookies. And you're just like, oh shit, what's a cookie? You know? <laughs> Cause like, you don't get recipes or anything like that too. So it's just like, you gotta literally remember all this stuff. And you gotta be like, shit, that I remember this? Like, what's going on with this? Like, the time's going, you're running around, it's a new kitchen. Yeah. Sometimes I think they also do things to make it like good TV. Because I know that one time, one of my ovens wasn't like calibrated right, or, you know, didn't have any racks or something in it. So you gotta sure. go like, look for the racks to put inside of it so you know no it's definitely real though <laughs> what uh is, so what happened intense. in that show specifically uh so they, what happened they did cookies yeah so there was uh there were eight competitors on it and every uh episode somebody gets eliminated oh. so you actually do two rounds uh -huh. where they'll do like a preheat and then they'll do kind of like the showstopper yeah and you just go man and it's <laughs> brutal it is so brutal most they start at 6 30 in the morning and you film until like nine o'clock at night man and you do it back to back. What channel back, was that show? To back. Food Network. Food Network. Yeah, you awesome. go back to back to back to back to back to back and you're just like, what the hell did I get? Did you make it pretty far? Yeah. Did you get, oh, cool. So for that one, if I would have made it one more episode, I would have made it to the uh, final three. Oh my gosh. Right? <laughs> and then, so what was the one that you did after that? Uh, and then the one I did after that was Thanksgiving Pie Fight. And this was <laughs> like completely out of my element, but I love doing things like that. I don't sure. like doing things I'm comfortable with. You no, know? yeah. So once they called me up and they're just like, hey, we got this concept for the show, which is pies. And I'm just like, what do you mean pies? What do we have to do? And they're just like, oh, we'll go look at some of these elaborate pies. And I went on the internet and researched elaborate. I was like, that pie is really dope. You know, they're <laughs> seeing really cool like geometric designs in it or there's um, uh, one uh, pie artist where she just does like lots of like pop culture like mm -hmm. inspired stuff. She was actually one of the judges on it. She's got her uh, blog is called The Pies that she's on Instagram like, kills it but she does like david bowie like dark crystal inspired oh, pies cool. yeah. she does like baby yoda pies like it's just yep. really cool but her specialty is these things called pie scrapers and pie scraper is exactly what it sounds like it's just a really really tall pie <laughs> so once you go on the show they're like yeah your pie scraper has to be at least you know like eight inches high and you're just like what the f like how oh the hell am i God. gonna do that you know so <laughs> you end up making a pie scraper man just a and, super thick crust uh yes Super, super thick crust or um, you have to have like really good supports in it, mm -hmm. you know, like really, really just good support structure, you know. And then does it just all turn into a cobbler when you slice it, basically? So depends on what kind of pie you make. Okay. So one of the girls, <laughs> she ended up making um, like a Abraham Lincoln float like Thanksgiving Macy Day's float. When oh, I saw okay. this shit, I was just like, oh my God. I was like, she's going to. And this was like, also in 45 minutes? No, so oh. we got two and a half hours to do. Because a pie the, takes how long to cook? Um, I mean, like at least an hour. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah, I mean, at least an hour. You gotta make the crust, the fillings, all this stuff. Uh, but yeah, she ended up making a Abraham Lincoln, like Macy's Day Perot. The other girl made uh, like a carousel mm -hmm. that actually moved and stuff that had horses and stuff. Oh my God. And then the other girl, uh, what is she? Oh, the other girl ended up doing kind of like a circus theme thing where there was like a um, like a circus tent and stuff that like went up and whatnot. And I was just like, this is insane. And then I ended up doing uh, Americana inspired uh, George Washington portraiture with a, oh, wow. um, a spray can. And the spray can was actually like, like my cake. So it was about, <laughs> about this high right there, had like an isomalt globe, like dome on top of it and whatnot on the inside was like just 
madness. <laughs> it was George Washington's face. Yeah, and then George Washington's face was. I, I, we'll put I, we yeah, can put yeah, it in yeah, the yeah. Uh, in what we share. I can definitely show you a picture of it later. Yeah, on. yeah, yeah. But George Washington's face was actually on a separate thing. So my thing was actually like kind of like three pies. Oh my god! <laughs> and so and you can't say what the next show is yet. But no, it'll and I be sometime see. this year. Uh huh. Awesome. Yep. yep. Cool. Well, yeah. I'll, next I'll, couple months. Keep me posted. I'll definitely help promote. I love seeing you on TV. I think it's awesome. You got the correct energy for it. <laughs> I'm sure the camera loves you. <laughs> um, but your uh, the thing I saw most recently was your coffee table book. Yes. And yep. is that out yet or? Uh-huh. Yep. Okay, Ty Davis cool. Patriot came out. We just did our first book release um, actually a couple months ago at Left Bank Books. They were mm-hmm. uh, really, really uh, gracious and fortunate to let me have my book uh, signing thing there. So we sold out actually of all the first editions. I'm coming out with the second edition. And then actually I just released the ebook today. Oh, awesome. Yep. So we got an ebook available for that. Um, working on my actual full recipe savory uh, cookbook. It's called the Cookbook, uh, cookbook of Solace. Mm-hmm. So I'm really, really excited about that. This all kind of like recipes and um uh, the recipes that are really really kind of like near dear to my heart mostly revolve around like modern soul food mm-hmm. a lot of the times but i mean the cookbook is like going to be really cool it's very interactive so i got qr codes inside of it so you can kind of like listen to like my playlist that i That's listen cool. to when i'm cooking when it comes to stuff it has like inspirational quotes there's artwork from a few local artists in there um that I also have in there just in like the different pages and there's different like um, short stories and stuff in there, but it's mostly just meant to be a really, really uplifting like cookbook. Sure. Yeah. What, um, how'd you get into photography of, and especially obviously food photography, but just pick up a camera and start to figure it out. Uh, I had to start marketing myself on Instagram. So Uh I, yep, picked up a camera and started figuring it out. (laughs) That's, you know, that's just, I I started doing food photography probably when Kevin was doing those, this is not a restaurant. Uh And I'm like, wow, this is something I've never done before. And then I really got into it Yeah, because it's almost like landscape photography. It is. Uh, just with on a, a shallower depth of field. Yep. But how do you control the light to like hit the peaks and the valleys and, and everything that's depending on what kind of food you're shooting? I always usually typically try to shoot natural light. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So all, always natural light. But I mean, phones nowadays, like if I pay 1200 bucks for that thing, you better be able to take some damn good pictures. <laughs> so I mean, like, yeah. like I, and most of my stuff is always done through like my smartphone, which oh, is absolutely insane. Like I don't have a professional camera when it comes to stuff. And then I just edit everything through Even Photoshop. Even with the books? Uh-huh. Oh, no way. Yep. So my first book that I have, um, Ty Davis Pastry, it's actually a combination between photos I've taken myself uh-huh. and then other individuals that I've worked with. So sure. like- uh, uh, like Isaiah Jenkins, like he shoots for like sauce and stuff. Sometimes mm-hmm. there's a couple of his photos in there. Um, I do always do things like Eric Nimmons, like he's an awesome dope photographer. So we have some really dramatic things in there, but for the most part, 50% of it is all me. Wow. So it was really cool. But like I said, I don't like not knowing how to do things. No, so, I get it, man. Yeah. It's inspiring. <laughs> you know, every time you put out something, it's just inspiring to me because I'm like, oh, Tyler's doing that. You know, <laughs> the new thing that he's doing and he's killing it. Did you self-publish these or yes. how did you? Uh-huh. What was that process? Was it difficult or not? Uh, nope, nope, nope. It, w- it wasn't very difficult at all. Um, Just you pulling can, together the funds and yeah, and even when it came to like it. the funds and stuff, I ended up getting a really, really good deal because I had a friend who actually has her own publishing company. So she was like, "This is what you got to do. Yeah, this is who you got to probably go through. You know, if you don't want to break the bank." with, you know, buying all these books and stuff, we can probably give you a discount when it comes to that. And then I wanted to do it really smart at first. So what I did was I came out with my um, like paperback books and they insult those out in order to mm-hmm. fund my eBooks. There you go. Yep. 
and then based on the eBooks, those are super accessible to everybody. So now everybody can get one, you know, Man. for all that stuff. And then second one, I'll definitely be self-publishing, but I actually have a few publishers that are interested in there you go. Yep, coming along. So see, a lot of people also don't understand that is like you gotta you gotta buy, uh, believe in yourself and fund your own ideas. Yes. Yeah. And I have so many friends that are always trying to get other people to fund their ideas. Yeah. It's like. It's an investment. Right. Yeah. Like if you're not putting any money into it, why should anybody exactly. else put any money into exactly. it? Exactly. You got to fund it first yeah. to make sure that it's something that's actually good. Yep. It doesn't matter what it is, a product or a book or anything that you're doing, music, yeah. you know. Um, the, I don't, there's just so much to go. I, I'm still like just taking everything in. I love how you <laughs> blend all of your separate interests too. What's, uh, your website spells it out pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so I've always been like, fairly artistic. And that's something that I really want to get like back into because I know that once I open um, like Alchemy Bakery, like my brick and mortar up, I want to have like merchandise and whatnot. Sure. But I just didn't feel like I was like doing enough, which kind of sounds weird, yeah. but um, like no. I have dreams like all the time and I try to listen to them. So after I like left my job, there was like a dream of me pouring a Mariglaze on one of my cakes. But then there was another version of me doing the same Mariglaze, but it was on a canvas. What's a Mariglaze? So a Mariglaze are like the finishes and stuff I put on my cheesecakes. Mm -hmm. And it's usually like a white chocolate base. But mm. what they do is they're, they're really, really colorful. They can be really, really vibrant. Okay, I know exactly pour, what you're talking about. You know, about. right yeah. on top of it. And I just had a, like a wake up moment. I was like, holy shit, like this is just like painting. And it's just like, mm. and you've been wanting to get into art. It's like, so why not marry like food and art together and do it that way and just bring everything full circle. And because I have Alchemy Bakery, I was just like, okay, well, how can we kind of brand all of these things together with, while it's still making sense, you know? Yeah. So that's why I changed kind of my whole website to tydavis.com because now I'm the brand. So now I'm not limited. And just under Ty Davis. T-A-I Davis. Yep. Yep. Com. And then because I'm not limited now, I can actually do art. I can consult and I can also still do food and stuff. And then when I was thinking, I was just like, well, Restaurants always need art when you do this. This is also like you can still use some of your photos for stuff as prints when it comes to stuff. Yeah. You can also get back into art because that's something that you really, really love to do, you know? So why not do it? Got up one day, bought the <laughs> canvas and started Figured painting some stuff, out. man. And was just like, yeah, I love it. And 24 hours, phone call. Hey, how much is it? <laughs> Sold it. And I was just like, you got to be fucking shitting me. fucking easy. And it was I mean, it's insane, man. Like I didn't <laughs> foresee any of this stuff happening. I was just like, we're just going to take a risk. Yeah. See how people respond to it. Yeah. And she was like, how much do you want for it? And I told her, and I was like, she's never going to pay that much. She was like, okay, sweet. Send it to you now. And I was just like, this can happen. This is crazy. That, you know? See, that is the beauty of social <laughs> media uh, into in where you can get your idea going, put it out there and actually start to make money as quick as possible. Yep. You know, and I think uh, for every downside of social media, that is still just kind of a beautiful thing about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is the instant networking, the instant creativity yeah, instant almost. Instant just visibility, Instant commerce. Yeah. Uh, how did you figure out how to um, take the processes that you were doing with the desserts and translate them to a canvas? Just with the, because you're not... You, you, you're using like acrylics maybe sometimes. And like, uh -huh. if you're trying to, I noticed that you have a similar aesthetic with some of the pastry work and desserts that you've done and your artwork. Exactly. I want there to definitely be some cohesion. So you yeah. can be like, hey, this is a Ty Davis painting as well sure. as like a Ty Davis dessert. But honestly, it stemmed from me just having lots of like leftover things. Mm. So I don't like to waste stuff. And I was just online one day and I was just like, you know, like how can I use these eggshells? Like what the hell am I doing with all these eggshells? Yeah. Like I have like, 
400 eggshells here. I was like, I don't want to throw them out. And I started re- researching ex- like eggshell mosaics. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is an art form. Done. I'm totally going to do this. This See, you know, kind of marries everything with the me, food and the art. To me, that's so badass. <laughs> yeah, like when you're using food in your mediums. Yeah. In your artwork. Yeah, and it's just free product. Yeah. You know? That's crazy. Um, Yeah, so I just took it from there, and honestly, just Google, man. Like, Google is, I think, the best kind of resource Mm -hmm. out there, and I actually kind of get a little flustered or annoyed sometimes when people ask me questions about stuff, because I get questions all the time, and I'm just like, but you know that let me Google that for you. You gotta just Google it. Like, (laughs) Jesus, people, watch a YouTube video, you know? Like, like, you know, people, all the, how do you sell your artwork and stuff so fast? Blah, blah, blah. It's just like, I just read books about at the same time, how to sell art. It, <laughs> at the same time, I know it's been beneficial for me to be looked at as a thought leader on something Yeah. by literally just Googling something. And then it there, you know, I don't want to minimize it because it is difficult to adequately research something mm-hmm. and find accurate information. Absolutely. That's hard. But. Anybody can start to do that Absolutely. through Googling. Yep. Uh, and it just blows my mind how many people don't. Don't. At all. Ever. At whatsoever. All. At all. And so anytime somebody has had a question, instead of like being snarky and sending them to let me Google that for you, depending on the complexity of their question, uh-huh. I'll just do it maybe sometimes even on the phone with them and like start to give them answers. I, I shit. I, I had, even yesterday, I had this product. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to communicate this without <laughs> but while keeping it under wraps but um somebody had a project that they want to do and they sent me a uh, image of it uh-huh. like can you do this instead of me going nah probably you know that's not anything i'm interested in i was like yeah let me just start researching it started researching it while i was on the phone with them yeah started reading things while focusing on the conversation and like oh yeah we can do that throwing in some terminology uh-huh then today i've just been getting the quotes on how to do it which is something that they probably could do themselves. Yep. But I'm doing it now, putting in a markup, and now I have a new client. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's 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 mind boggling. I you know I almost feel in some ways that we're at this like a uh, gold rush still, and I think all successful people have felt that in their own lives at their own times. Mm-hmm. You know, Jeff Bezos, uh, to use a weird example, knew that like. You know, I can I can sell things. I can sell books through the website. Now it's like, duh, of course you can. Yeah. But at that time, it wasn't a duh. You know, I I think that all of this time, all this creativity, all this preparation that you've put into your life, finally is getting you to a point, and hopefully myself to a point, to where we can now act as quick as possible in order to get the most things done that represent what we want to do. Absolutely. You know, I've always said when we were young, we didn't have uh, money. Okay. We had tons of ideas, but we didn't have money and we didn't have skills. And we start to get older. We start to learn some things. It's like, man, I got all the skills, but where'd my ideas go? Because I'm kind of stuck in the framework of knowing how to do something. Mm-hmm. And now that we're in our mid thirties or late thirties, all of a sudden it's like, Oh shit, the ideas have come back. I know how to do these things yep. and I have the money or, or, you know, time set aside to put them all together. Yeah. And uh, it's an exciting time, I think, you know, uh, being 37 and realizing like, and having the confidence is a big part of it as mm-hmm. well. And the, and mental stability and, and mental health lockdown, making sure everything is where it needs to be to where it's like, okay, I feel good trying on this next thing for the next five to 10 years. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And getting as good as possible as I can be at it. And I see you in the exact same place. 
and I love your framework of your personal life and the uh, the spiritualism that you have as a base for doing that. It makes so much sense to me. Yeah. So I'm just pumped to like watch you grow, watch <laughs> you succeed, killing it, keep doing things, working with people. And it's just really inspiring to me to keep going on with what I'm doing. And I hope people that listen to this will automatically just keep checking you out and also be inspired by uh, your prolificness and your ability to blend all of your interests together. I really appreciate that. And that's honestly like my job right now. I don't really consider myself just to be like a chef. I just, yeah. I think I put in this earth, like I said, just to inspire individual, whether it be through there food, whether it just be people really just want to pursue their dreams, you know, yeah. whether it be through art. I just want to, for people to see, you know, you don't have to be limited, you know? Right. You know, and, definitely and don't, don't have to be limited. Just to see yourself throw your yourself into these things and, and figure it out on the way. That is probably the thing that's inspired me the most today is just, just do it. Yep. Figure it out. Eggshells. Cool. Look it up. Google it. Yep. You can use it as a medium. Put it there. Put it on there. Make it uh, fit in what I think looks beautiful. Yeah. Put it online. Yeah. See what happens. Yeah. And I, I, I think for most part, I, I kind of have okay taste. So I know if yeah, I make some cool. art yeah. and I do it and I like it, chances are somebody else is going to like it. Well, maybe, so. <laughs> maybe that's the key takeaway is refining your taste. Because I think, you know, I'm not the best designer or photographer or yeah, whatever in the world. But what I've been doing is refining my taste. Absolutely. And how do you do that? You do that by being a sponge. Yep. And not thinking you're the shit. Yep. And reading and looking at things and, and wondering why that connects with your aesthetic. Yep. And then you can get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm tired of being a sponge. I'm full. It's time to put out some of the things that I've been, uh, I, don't know, I was about to say sucking in, but like some of the things that I've taken in. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, I think we're kind of both at that point. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm a full man. sponge. I'm ready to start releasing something. Definitely, definitely sponge. Information is key. And even if you can, like, even if you still don't know how to do something, mentors. Yes. Like super totally. important, you know, because these are people already in their fields that are already killing it. They already yep. have the expertise that are down. So why not learn from somebody that you respect? There you, you go. Know, and also learn it the right way. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> well, cool, man. Uh, I know you got to run. I got another podcast coming up here shortly. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, everywhere. <laughs> you can definitely find me everywhere. But if you want to um, look me up, you can find me at www.ty-davis.com. Uh, or you can uh, be, find me at my pop-up dinners. I got a really cool pop-up series come, called Dovetail happening right now with uh, St. Louis Symphony Cellist. We had two of those this month. I also, you can find me at ACASA for my Modern Soulful pop-ups or, you know, around Midtown. What's your social? Uh, my social e is going to be um, I of the Tyler on Instagram. That's the letter I. Yeah, letter I of the Tyler on Instagram, also on Twitter. Cool. Anything else? Nah, man. Just thanks for having me on. Yeah, let's keep in yeah. touch. I want to keep. Uh, I, I know you're going to have projects coming out the wazoo. You know, maybe later this year or next year. I'd, I'd love to just sit down again and see where you're at then. Absolutely, absolutely. And also keep your eye out for my uh, brick and mortar opening up uh, early this fall. And no name yet, or can you say it? It's going to be Alchemy Bakery. Alchemy Bakery. Yep. Awesome. This fall. I can't wait, man. (laughs) It's been great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kevin. Little rusty, y'all. Not gonna lie. Taking off a month and a half has made me uh, just a little more slack, a little more relaxed, and not necessarily having the best questions 100% of the time, but they will get better. I did two that day with Tyler, one with Tyler, and then another with next week's guest. Very excited about it. Um, 
But aside from that, I'm just trying to get into the, the, the swing again. There's a lot going on. We're in the middle of a pandemic. I'm starting up a new business and I'm still trying to push these podcasts out for you amongst a lot of other things. So bear with me. Uh, we will get into a cycle of normality here. I'm trying to get them out fast and furiously, not even just once a week, but even more than that. Uh, and there is going to be a new podcast studio here soon. So maybe you will see some photos of that if you follow me on social media. I'm online. Are you? I'm on Instagram at Kevin Kelly USA. Um, you can follow the podcast. Please like it do all that subscribe to it and please leave a a review positive if you like me negative you know nobody needs to hear bad words you can just put those somewhere else or just internalize them but thanks for listening to this i really appreciate it uh you can follow the notes online at podcast.anti-agency.org you guys are great i'll be back soon cheers cheers